0: Welcome to this episode of Magni. My name is Zach, and on this show, I try to ask questions that lead to insightful answers. My goal is to learn what the guest knows and then put it out there in the hopes that it will benefit other people as well. So if you wanna hear more of this podcast, please subscribe to it so you never miss an episode. And I also post my favorite quotes from each guest. So if you like positive stuff showing up on your feed, you can follow Magni on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn at Magni Podcast. Today's guest is Kirk Davis. Kirk's been a friend of mine for about eight years now, and I also consider him somewhat of a mentor. When we first met, I went to him with an idea for a business, and he was very selfless with his time, and he somehow always found a solution for any problem I ran into along the way. Still to this day, when I have an idea, he's the first person I take it to, and I always walk away from our conversations with more clarity, which really just speaks to how good he is at business advising. And he's also good at growing the businesses himself because he's now the executive director for a nonprofit designed to improve the manufacturing industry in the Puget Sound. And he's co-created an online course that's designed to help businesses grow. He played a huge part in bringing this podcast together. So he's the perfect first guest. Before we dive into this, I just have to say, I want to admit that this episode was more difficult to create than I thought it would be. I did a lot of planning this time beforehand with Kirk because I wanted it to come out good and I was trying to touch on my bases and I think in that process I learned a lot about what works and what doesn't and I still have a lot more to learn about that but I definitely got a better idea of what I need to do to prepare for the episode moving forward because this time I had a very pre-planned structure that I wanted the conversation to follow but you know a conversation it's hard to make it flow when you are sticking to such a strict agenda and um Luckily, Kirk manages to share some great things, and I hope you enjoy this. Here he is. Asking you a bunch of questions, I learned a lot about you. Uh, I learned that we have a lot in common, and particularly what stood out to me was that you said you had a chip on your shoulder at a young age. That kind of led us down similar paths, but I'm curious for you, where do you think that came from? you know uh
1: getting to to know you right um i i saw a fierce independent streak and i recognized that i had that too i and i they may have been similar or or different but for me uh i i, I grew up very powerless uh i i was getting beat up all the time i was a target for bullies i I didn't like it. So I was searching for, you know, how how do I make it so other people can't hurt me? And I I don't know if yours was exactly the same as that, but but I do find that people with that fierce independence streak are usually of a type of personality that I call a warrior. I I really enjoy reading uh, people who write about the warrior way, Musashi and um, Sun Tzu and Bruce Lee, and there's many others, you know, but, but I really immersed myself in that literature. Uh, and so later in life, I, I started to learn martial arts because I didn't like getting beat up. And so uh, I started to really study the warrior way and the warrior personality. But something I found is that warriors often are, have a fierce independent streak, don't want to be told what to do, they want to figure it out for themselves. And they often they don't conform to society to societal norms. So this warrior type is often out collars outside the lines, doesn't fit easily into conventional careers, and they they kind of become creative and they they start to create a path of their own. And I would say the easy, the easy way through life is to do what everybody tells you to do, right? <clears throat> Isn't that much easier? And and then you you start to learn a balance of my life does get easier if I'm cooperative in certain situations. And then Uh, The warrior class, the warrior uh, heart or people who are that way tend to learn how to live in the world and get along in the world, but do their own thing, but do it very, very well because of what you said, you know, they're, they're knocking their head against the wall. They're, they're doing hard things. They attack what they fear. They do something that could have a real cost, but then later that, that benefits, you know, from that experience benefits them down the road.
0: Uh, when we were talking before, you said that having that chip on your shoulder led you to not going to college. Is that accurate to say? Yes,
1: I dropped out of college. Yeah, I'd gone for about a year and said, nope, I can do this better without college. And uh, life proved me wrong. <laughs> so just like you said, I I, I did everything the hard way. Uh, I did things that, that normal people don't do. And I collared outside the lines. Uh, but at the same time I was truly getting my butt kicked by life just in every direction so i, I was I was newly married you know had a son was trying to uh, start a business back back in many years ago when it was much harder to start a business didn't have the right idea didn't have the right product and uh, you know found my found myself facing failure over and over again and wondering well how do you succeed you know and and so that's part of that warrior experience of you know failure and uh, when you're the youngest person in the dojo oftentimes you know you don't see a lot of successes in the beginning so i I did not see successes in the beginning and realized that I was going to have to have a bachelor's degree just to have the conversations even to have better opportunities because without without a college degree uh, back in those days uh, nobody would even talk to me about a higher paying job so I ended up with very low paying and uh, you know commission sales and some other type of things that that uh, that that weren't exactly what I wanted to do, and I wanted to do more and be better, but I saw the advantage so that's when I jumped into the military, but with my anti authoritarian uh hated being told what to do, uh, I was butting heads with everybody all through my military experience so that was uh that was another example of what you said you know we uh if you're the warrior type you you have a lot of conflict, and I created the conflict. The conflict wasn't there; I created it, and I created it because I had resentment towards people who were over me. They felt that, they knew that, they could see it, and I ended up, as a result, doing a lot of extra duty. So I was cleaning toilets and buffing floors and picking up cigarette butts, and I was assigned uh, extra duty almost every day of my career of my in the military. <laughs> so, so uh, I again, but like you said, that experience i it was I was a very slow study to figure out that I was causing all this conflict, and so in jobs I had after the military, I was still causing conflict with people above me. it was just it was in my heart, it was in my soul, and I was blind so I often call these Zach i call these uh, dark holes in our soul, and that's when we're creating the problem, but we can't see it it's we're so in it we're in. We're in the river floating down the river in the rapids being you know thrown around by life because we're so blind and i had some really extreme things happen that then caused me to look back and see oh i am i am causing this problem and that's one thing about the warrior mindset is you you start to seek out your weaknesses and you start to seek out your mistakes and say I like it when life shows me my weaknesses. I like it when others tell me my mistakes because now I can, I can take corrective action and I can become a more powerful person. So I, it was a very, I was a very slow study to pick up on how I was creating my own life problems.
0: It's interesting. You say people start to seek out experiences that expose their weaknesses and challenge them because I found it interesting that you joined the military during this time in your life when you hated authority and being told what to do. I know that you joined the military in order to go back to college, but it's almost like it was exactly what you needed at the time. Like subconsciously you were drawn to that, even though it was the probably the last place you wanted to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It would be the worst place you could go with that, uh, with that personality disorder. Uh, I'll just tell you real quick that uh, I, I had a great, my martial arts teachers were amazing. Uh, they were all, um, highly trained like their backgrounds and the martial arts that they studied they had amazing resumes uh, you know, in terms of martial arts and, and abilities but my first martial arts teacher he saw this hole in my soul which I didn't see and that is I I needed the approval of other people it was a big hole in my soul and I you know I had an experience with him where he asked me to judge my own performance and I I couldn't I did not have that in me it was a black hole in my soul but eight years later after that, after he had me try to judge my own performance and I couldn't, <clears throat> it was a black hole in my soul. I just, I just needed the approval of other people before I could give myself permission to do anything. And uh, it was eight years later, i looked back and said, oh, he was trying to tell me that I don't need the approval of other people. And that was a very big turning point for, to, for me to get out of that black hole in my soul of needing the approval of other people. And then uh, I I had a situation with uh, early employment after the military that uh, one of my bosses was so mad at me because of the way I, I had a blind, uh, you know, just a black hole in my soul. And he nearly punched me in the nose in front of customers. (laughs) It was, we were fighting because I created the fight because I created the resistance because I, I upset him so badly that he nearly punched me in the nose. But it still, it was like three years later, I looked back and said, oh, he was doing me a favor and he was asking me to correct something that would make my life easier and make my career more successful. He was 100% right and I was 100% wrong. You know, when you have those awakenings, they hurt. I mean, because you, you're embarrassed. I was embarrassed and ashamed. And again, all of that required extreme humility for me to get out of my black hole and then to pivot. And to say, you know, it, it's like I'm the person who was learning to ride the bike and falling off and tipping over and skinning my knee all the time. But once you learn to ride the bike, it's like all that time you learn to ride the bike doesn't, you know, falling before you learn to ride the bike doesn't matter. Now I can ride the bike. So as I crawled out of each one of these dark holes in my soul, uh, I, I found myself able to ride the bike, get back into the mainstream of society and stop causing all these problems, but start to do things That would lead to greater success.
0: Do you now have a way of identifying those blind spots? And if so, what is it? Yes. Marriage. Marriage
1: is the number one way to identify the black holes in your soul because your wife and your children will point them out nonstop. And now I much more quickly and much more humbly accept, I mean, criticism and feedback. And then later as I became as that process became more refined, you know, coworkers, bosses, life becomes a feedback mechanism for you. But later it became literally feelings of comfort or discomfort inside of me. And I started to learn how I have an internal feedback system. But if I had a situation that was uncomfortable, I could look back and say, I'm doing something, you know, that I need to look at and figure out. And so my learning curve and learning to ride the bicycle, so to speak, became much faster. So it, it uh, sped up a lot and uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for good teachers. I'm grateful for hard lessons. I'm grateful for uh, fail you know, the failures, the failures that led to greater awakenings. It's all it. It makes you a happier person.
0: I like what you said about the internal feedback system, because sometimes if you're asking people around you to point out your blind spots due to the nature of blind spots, they might not be comfortable telling you. And a good example would be if you struggle with being sensitive to even the slightest of criticism, that person that you're asking is not going to want to tell you because that would be being critical of you and they know how sensitive you are to that. So the likelihood they're going to tell you what you need to hear is is low. Well,
1: or, or it's biased by their experience, right? So it may not, may not really be about you. It may really be about them. So there's another problem, but.
0: And you said when we were talking about the internal feedback system, comfort versus discomfort. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, um, one of the people I listened to uh, is
1: brilliant, but he just boils there. There's a world outside of us, and there's a world inside of us. There's forces of nature that make that create the world outside of us, and there's forces of nature that create the world inside of us but the way we experience our internal world is either we're okay or we're not okay. He said, just keep it simple. Right? So something happens, you get troubled and you don't feel okay. That's my signal that I, I I've got something I've got to look at or work on. And he said, it's in your daily, daily, like minimum, you know, like minute by minute activities. And so for instance, I've noticed, of course, when I'm driving that the way other people drive around me, troubles me greatly right so so i'm i'm working on ways to to not be so troubled by the way other people drive but i notice when i'm in public spaces and people get they crowd into me and get into my space and for some reason if they get right behind me i literally can't handle it and i literally have to move or reposition myself so that nobody is behind me it's just a thing i have but i'm starting to ask myself you know why you know uh, why are these things troubling me or making me feel not okay? So he talks about a process of of just relaxing, you know, because he said when you're not okay, you tense up. He, and so he said, notice your body. He said, and I notice this when I'm driving. I notice it when I'm in situations where I don't feel good or feel okay. That I tense up. And he said, so l- learn to relax, learn to accept. And he said, what you're trying to do is accept reality the way it is and get okay with reality the way it is instead of trying to to make reality the way you want it he said that causes neurosis and psychosis and many other problems so we don't need the world to to conform to what we want we have to learn to conform to the world the way it is and i i had to adapt to reality instead of asking reality to adapt to me i didn't i wasn't going to get comfortable because the world made me comfortable i was going to learn how to get comfortable with the world the way it is and um, the 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 universe, life, God, however you see that, you know, however you describe your world, rewards us when we're accurate in terms of reality, and it punishes us. So, and and the way I heard it said is is if the escalator of life is going up and you're trying to go down, you're going to be not okay. And if the escalator of life is going down and you're trying to go up, then you're not going to be okay. But if you learn learn to read life and you learn to read reality, you'll become very accurate and you'll want to go down when life is going down and you'll want to go up when life is going up.
0: You have a pretty unique experience in your past where you went to a different country on a mission trip, which sounds awesome, but also sounds like it must've been a wild experience. Tell us about that.
1: Uh, Yes. After high school, I went on a, a mission to Norway for two years uh, and, and the Norwegian people. So it was, it was a great experience for me because I got to learn Norwegian. I know I've, I've forgotten all the Norwegian. I'm, I'm sure I could get it back, but, uh, the, the people were lovely. The, the country was lovely. And my, my cultural experiences there were lovely. However, cause I'm going as a missionary to teach them, uh, about my church and my beliefs and, and, you know, the things that, that we do. So it's, a, it's a type of service, but it was a daily rejection. Yeah. So they didn't want to hear the message. <laughs> They didn't want to talk to us. And, you know, you see these young men and women, you know, they're dressed up in dresses or suits and they've got a black name tag on. and So they're easily recognizable. And, uh, you know, this has been going on for years and years. And so they know who you are before you even show up. And there's a lot of door slamming, angry, you know, a lot of times angry responses or argumentative, you know, and they want to uh, tell you that you're, you know, that you believe the wrong thing. And so, yeah, you know, you, you learn a lot from that experience. And I think you've also, you know, kind of, cause you've been in a, in a sales job. You've, uh, you've, you know something about rejection too.
0: Yeah. I'm in a sales role. So I, I deal with rejection literally on a weekly, if not daily basis, most of the time it's on a daily basis. And I, uh, I think it taught me a lot about myself and helped me grow. Um, cause it points out your weaknesses, at least it did for me um, my response to rejection for a while, especially, you know, in a sales role where you have a target and a goal to hit and, um, you know, it's, it's expected of you as part of your job. It, it, uh, it caused me to get angry a lot of the time when things didn't go my way. And, uh, over time, you know, that, uh, that response to rejection just made me tired, made me really, really tired. And I just realized there was ways I could do my job better with expending less negative energy and, um, you just develop other ways to respond to those feelings that come up from rejection. And in turn, you know, that emotional regulation has helped me in other areas of my life as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, one was to, for me and it was really to love everybody with all of our differences. Um, I think for, for me, it became an inclusive, uh, feeling. Uh, I wanted to include everybody. And and I I don't see anybody as bad. I see us all as having a divine origin, and a divine destiny. And, and so when people weren't kind, or, uh, you know, slamming the door, or yelling, or, you know, uh, making life hard, whatever the case might be. And that happened, it didn't only happen on a mission, you know, it happened in, in careers, it happened with bosses. And of course, I was creating a lot of that. But, um, but from all of that, we either become bitter, or we become enlightened, and that's the warrior path, right? So the warrior path is your your heart can become hard like a like prison walls, and you don't want anybody to get in there because you've been hurt, or your heart can become a palace that's open to everybody. And if somebody is unruly, you know we can escort them out. But we we lose our fear of people, and I think you know the bigger point that you're talking about is you lose this fear of rejection. You lose this fear of uh, talking to people. You learn this fear of being with people who, who might seem scary to you. Uh, You lose all that fear. And so, yeah, that was a real, that was a real blessing to me to learn to, to have the heart of a, of a palace rather than a prison and to uh, learn to love people and accept people and overcome my fear of people. So it was, it was huge. A lot of those lessons were learned many years after, right? It was looking back and going, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I need to change how I view people, because at times I saw people as enemies rather than potential friends. But even Bruce Lee taught that the way the way to overcome your enemies is to make them your friends. So I see a lot of parallels. You know, I I said this to one of my martial arts teachers. I said, I see so many parallels between the gospel of Jesus Christ and martial arts. And he goes, oh, yes. He, he, and he, he just it was like casual. He goes, yeah, all truth is parallel. And he said it casually, but in my mind, that was a rocket ship. I was like, oh, all truth is parallel. So today I love studying science and academics and literature and philosophy and psychology. And uh, it's a thrill for me to see the parallel truths between all things. And I, I love truth wherever I find it.
0: You know, I've never heard anybody say that before, that all truth is parallel. But that phrase, a parallel truth, it really captures the idea of how different principles and lessons can apply to many different areas of our lives. I I like that. That's really cool. Um, there was a time in your life when you went from job to job and you didn't feel like you had much direction. You felt lost. What was going on at that time?
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, uh, felt so self-assured and so strong. And I, you know, I, I was, I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. So, uh, I, I, was newly married, dropped out of college and said, I can start a business. Uh, that didn't work out. So I ended up in a series of, of, different, uh, low paying minimum wage or sales, you know, commission type jobs that, um, the, the, uh, I believe this is the math that for the first 15 years of my marriage, I had 15 different jobs. <laughs> I was a terrible employee. I mean, I look back, I, uh, I had a lot of issues and today there's actually names for the things that I felt that I was going through, you know? So, so today those have become, uh, uh I, I don't know what the right word is, but, uh, diagnoses or so people will actually wear titles for some of the things I struggled with. But back in those days, there wasn't a title for the things I was going through. It was just, I needed to learn to adapt. And that, and I think that's a great message. If, if somebody says you're ADHD, if somebody says that you're, um, you know, neurotic, or you have PTSD, or you have these other things, I've learned that you can find your way around those. And so, uh, but yeah, I had uh, 15 different jobs in the first 15 years of my marriage, Very, all very low paying. And I couldn't seem, the, the whole time I was trying to figure out how do you get ahead? How do you get these higher paying jobs? And it wasn't clear to me. I grew up, I, I didn't mention earlier, but I grew up without a father. Uh, he left when uh, I was around eight years old and and again because of my personality i wasn't taking advice so i tell people the good news is i'm a self-made man and the bad news is i'm a self-made man uh it it takes a long time if you don't ask for advice so when i finally learned to find mentors to 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 start to learn things i didn't want to learn and and do things i didn't want to do and i i started to uh l- listen more because when you're when you when you feel like a warrior inside and you're rebellious and you're coloring outside the lines people don't quite know what to do with you. So it's not as easy, you know, to find mentors and to find teachers and to find people who will uh, guide you in your career as an example. So that was harder for me to find people because I I was not a great employee. So so you know if I if looking back honestly I would have stayed in college because it, I I just didn't connect the dots of how good grades help you I didn't get good grades in high school. Uh, I I was mediocre in anything I tried because I never, I just didn't have a, a, a model for excellence inside of me at all. That came much, much later. So I was playing life, playing life very mediocre and getting very mediocre results. And because I wasn't listening to the life lessons, but I wasn't listening to mentors and teachers and guides, you know, so I would advise anybody listen to, teachers, advisors, and guides, and uh, it speeds up your whole learning curve. It speeds up your career. It, it speeds up your earnings. And, and so when I finally, you know, suffered enough times bouncing along the bottom of the river of life, you know, and I stop resisting all of the, the pain and start to, again, asking life to say, give me things I need, like a cosmic vending machine. You pray and say, God, give me money and give me relationships and give me health. Uh, he's not a cosmic uh, a cosmic vending machine he is a partner in life with us that that helps us learn from our own experiences and we do it together with god i don't although i think he does a lot of things for us that we'll we'll have a better perspective on later but but what it feels like to us is that that he's a partner that works with us rather than somebody who just hands us out stuff and does things or doesn't do things for us
0: it was before the military that you kind of woke up and realized you need to start listening, stop resisting. Um, Was there a big moment that made you realize that, or was it more of a gradual shift? Well, you know, at that that time I was
1: setting a lot of goals and I was envisioning my life the way I wanted it to be. And, but at the same time I was getting my butt kicked with all my jobs and careers and nothing was working out. I was getting a lot of closed doors and uh, I couldn't see a pathway forward. And so as I was setting my goals and I said, you know, I want this level of income. I want this kind of job, but uh, that level of income and those levels of jobs required degrees. And so I I realized that the military was going to be the best option for me at that time.
0: And then once you were out of the military, this is when you started to get a little bit more serious about your goals, uh, went back to college. Was this a big turnaround for you? Was this the moment?
1: No, actually, I, I, uh, at that point, I avoided anything in my life that was hard. <laughs> so, so in high school, I took the easiest classes and in college, I took the easiest classes. So if it looked hard to me, I avoided, it. And that was one of my major, the black hole in my soul was I literally avoided anything that looked hard to me or painful to me, not realizing that that was going to cost me a lot more down the line. So there, there was a basic unwillingness for me to do hard things. And, and yet life was throwing hard things at me nonstop and I would ignore them or deny them or you know, travel a long way around to, to avoid a hard thing. And my poor wife, I mean, honestly, to, to be married to somebody like me that, that avoided hard things. Um, there, was a, there was a point later in our marriage where I, I brought up a topic that was really hard you know, it was a hard conversation for me. And she said, You know, I never thought we'd have this conversation because you spent all these years avoiding the hard things. And and so part of my journey and part of the big black hole in my soul I was so blind to was uh, college for me, was avoiding any hard class. So I ended up with a bachelor's degree in public administration because it was the easiest, had the least awful classes, and um, had some really marvelous experiences, you know, in my bachelor's degree but I felt that that later in life i I end up having to go back and pay the price for all the hard things that I had avoided late, earlier in my life so I avoided banking classes accounting classes or you know anything that looked you know engineering calculus, chemistry you know anatomy and physiology and tried to avoid anything that looked difficult so then again it was another black hole in my soul uh, when I finally woke up to it then I started to attack hard things rather than... So I, again, I was a very slow study, so I hope some people can relate to this but but uh, you know I just I, I didn't do it purposely. It was literally I was blind to it. I, I didn't notice I was doing that. But uh, when I look back on it now, I realize that my whole life was about avoiding pain and avoiding so instead of taking on responsibility, I was avoiding responsibility. instead of doing the hard thing, I was looking for the easy way. And that that uh, that was an awful that was a very awful thing. Don't know where I got it from, but it was it was not part of the warrior way that I learned later that uh, um, would help me as, as I overcame that and as I became aware of it and said, you know what, I got to stop avoiding the hard things and I got to dive into the hard things. Nature abhors a vacuum, right? So. So in our brains, when we're children, we don't understand the world. So we make things up. And so, you know, a lot of times if you have a young child or if you are a young child, instead of um, seeing, you know, understanding the world correctly or accurately, we make up stories in our head or, you know, we use our imagination. So with my children, uh, I, you know, they would tell a story and they'd say, now, was that real or was that a story? You know, (laughs) well, it was a story because they didn't know what was real, you know but they were so good at making up stories and I would tell them stories, but it was a, it was, you know, Santa Claus, right. Is a, is a story, right. And Easter Bunny and all this stuff. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's funny how it works, but, but, uh, later in life, as you, as you identify for yourself, uh, you know, to, to say, I don't understand. I, you know, um, I need, I you know, I'm making things up in my head. So either you'll make things up in your head about the way things are, or you'll you'll figure out the way things are, right? So, so um, I, I think that waking up to to uh, to your own stories that aren't serving you very well, and and I was telling myself stories like I can't do hard things. I was telling myself stories that that uh, that I you know that I was a failure. And I have to tell you that the number one story in my head growing up. Uh, and I felt it, I believed it, and I demonstrated it, is that I was a loser. So all of those hard years, those 15 years of uh, 15 different jobs and not figuring figuring things out, the dominant story in my head was that I was a loser. And I literally repeated that to myself over and over again. And, you know, I'd show up late to a meeting or I would would not complete an assignment or, you know, work needed me to do something and I wouldn't have it. But what I did have is I had excuses. And one day when I, when I woke up to that black hole in my soul that I was telling myself and other people's stories. So for instance, to be a leader today, you have to be reliable. And I talked to you about not, you know, we don't want to surprise people, but the biggest mistake I made earlier in my career is I would overestimate my own capabilities or underestimate how much work would be required to be successful so again, that's a form of not being accurate, so what that caused though, is a lack of integrity and what I've learned is that this entire world runs on trust so that was very that was very big for me, a big aha moment when I said, "Wait a second, the currency that drives this world is trust, and if you lose trust, you know uh you don't have relationships, you don't have health, you don't have money, you don't have a job, you don't have a career, you don't have a business." trust is everything, everything. (laughs) And people probably who, who don't understand that run into a lot of brick walls, but trust has been the most beautiful thing. I learned it uh, when I was in banking because I had to be, uh, I had to have integrity and I had to have honesty. And that was, that was one level of it. And little things would happen where I would have the opportunity to like, uh, If I didn't get their paperwork done, I could blame the loan committee and say, "Hey, the loan committee hasn't looked at it yet." But the truth was, I hadn't written it up yet, and even gotten it to the loan committee. I could do, I could do the tiniest of excuses or the tiniest of lies. And I learned through my banking experience just to take responsibility for everything to be 100% truthful, even if that the truth didn't favor me. And what it did is it created this high level of trust. And I honestly, Zach, I've got. High levels of trust everywhere I go, and I, I there's business dealings uh, where people tell me I will work with you because I know you will tell me the truth 100% of the time, even if it doesn't favor you. I've gotten so many um, opportunities because of that trust. So um, I you know I, I advocate to everybody, hey you know don't make excuses if you're making excuses for yourself, if you're making excuses for why you didn't do something, and I I learned to shut up. I learned, uh, you know, I'd I'd show up late, a few minutes late for work and, and um, I would apologize. And then I would say, you know, something happened. It wasn't my fault. You know, that's why we do excuses, right? Because, but then I started to take responsibility 100% for everything. And if you've ever read the book, Extreme Ownership, uh, that's a, that's a great book about taking responsibility for everything. But I had decided that long before I read the book but I took responsibility for everything. And if I showed up late, I didn't say anything. I didn't make excuses. I said, I said, uh, uh thank you. You know, what are we doing here? You know, and I, I learned just to move on, you know? So that was another big lesson is learning, learning to be trustworthy, not give excuses, not give, not even little tiny white lies, but to just take full responsibility for, for the truth of the situation, whether, whether it was, uh, Uh, favorable to me or not. And uh, that works in life and nothing else other than that works in life. But banking, I got to really, I got to uh, get this opportunity to work for US Bank and Bank of America and read financial statements and do write-ups, you know, for the loan committees on should we do business with this company or not. But I learned to assess risk. I learned to pay attention, extreme attention to detail uh, I have very, for some reason, and I don't know why, because, because uh, at that time I was starting to figure out that doing things right with no excuses and applying yourself to high degrees of excellence was going to be the pathway to success. And it was, and, and it was, uh, it was a very difficult journey. I had to change a lot of my personality, uh, to, to fit in there. Uh, it was very stressful for me. So banking was very stressful, but I got to work with hundreds and hundreds of businesses in different industries. So it gave me this broad education about uh, underlying financial realities and financial truths of companies, which then led me uh, after banking uh, to work at the Small Business Development Center. And my, my entire job description at that time was to grow businesses. They said, you know, the only thing we want you to do is grow businesses. So as people got to know me and built trust in me, and as I worked with them in their businesses and, and we worked through very difficult problems, uh, I, I eventually became recognized as, as, uh, having, uh, helped businesses gain the most funding, uh, and helping businesses grow the most. So I got that recognition and I said to myself, gosh, I've kind of reached the pinnacle of what I can do at the SBDC. I feel like I need to go and, and, uh, be in the business rather than just advise businesses and so i had an opportunity one of my clients hired me away to become a cfo of a small manufacturing company uh, it wasn't that long after i started a cfo there, there there became an opportunity to work with a funded startup uh I jumped into the funded startup that actually failed so and that led uh, to, a, to another client this is, goes back to what you and i talked about relationships so I had another one of my SBDC clients hire me as a as a CFO for their company, construction company, doing multi million dollar projects, and that led the, that to the opportunity for me to uh, to move out of the CFO role into this executive director role for the Center for Advanced Manufacturing.
0: Tell us about Camps. Yeah, uh, Camps is a
1: Center for Advanced Manufacturing, Puget Sound, and uh, we. We're, we're different than most other organizations like ourselves. We're a membership organization for manufacturing companies. We support the success of the growth of companies. Every manufacturer is innovating all the time. They're innovating their products. They're innovating their uh, processes. They're innovating for the marketplace. Uh, uh, this uh, Seattle region that we're in, I mean, is a, is a home of aerospace, but now it's becoming home to space companies, you know, Blue, Blue Origin, SpaceX. And now we're seeing this rise of space companies in this in this area and we're watching uh technology get into manufacturing so there's digital technology they call it industry 4.0 that's revolutionizing robotics uh, artificial intelligence all these things are coming in and revolutionizing uh manufacturing so this is probably the most exciting time to be part of something like this i mean i know the news is bad but they're paid to tell us the bad news right uh I'm I'm seeing the good news, and I'm seeing so many fantastic innovations, improvements. Uh, we live in an amazing world. The fact that we could have this conversation and not be in the same room today, you know, the technology that makes this possible, is all really due to the innovation uh, uh, of of uh, technology and the innovation of manufacturing.
0: Circling back just really quick on like a little side side note, you said that basically negative news is profitable. I actually think about this a lot. Can you expand on it and what you mean by that?
1: Sure. Well, today, in today's world, as it's evolved, uh, news organizations are paid for by views to their websites and news are, you know, programs on cable and other, other streaming services, and they're paid for clicks. So unless you're sensational, meaning the world's falling apart and the sky's falling and and there's a problem here and a problem there, and there's, you know, something bad is happening. They don't get the click, So they're incentivized for bad and terrible news. And so depending on where you get your news and depending on what you're watching, everybody has a story of how bad things are. And that could be things are bad in the government, bad things are bad in the economy. And and there's a saying in business that as, aspirin, you know, uh, pain relievers sell more than vitamins, right? <laughs> so so yeah, people are always, their their attention is drawn to pain. And then, you know, uh, not as much attention drawn to solutions. And of course, right now, after the pandemic, we are living in a time of, of high inflation. We're also living in a time of high higher oil and gas prices. We're living in a time when the Federal Reserve is not printing money. They're trying to uh, tighten, It's you know, the uh, quantitative tightening rather than quantitative easing. Easy, so we are seeing pressures on the economy and on living expenses. So, I mean, those are real things, right? Uh, but, but I'm seeing uh, hardworking people. I I'm seeing people who are incentivized to be successful in business, and they're hiring people, and they're creating new products and new processes, and they're innovating in their market spaces, and they're they're doing good things. And then, I I see a broader picture too. I was just involved in an initiative. Uh, called The Giving Machines. And and this is a, a worldwide initiative from our church uh, of, of ordinary people going up to a vending machine. But instead of buying a candy bar or soda, they're actually, it's a vending machine that buys uh, chickens or goats or supplies for people in need. And so we worked with, uh, uh, locally here, we worked with about uh, four local charities and three global charities. But... Uh, uh, this initiative of the giving machines is something, again, where I see so much good happening. I got to work with the uh, these charities, and I got to hear their stories of how they've changed lives. And uh, I saw everyday people just come and put a dollar or two into a vending machine to give hope to somebody else who's struggling. And so in my world, I see so much good.
0: So we're about to transition to asking some big questions about life. But first, I know you're working on something really exciting with some influential people Tell us what you've got in the works.
1: In my experience, I think I mentioned to you that um, I met a, a, a business consultant, but he had just retired as the CEO of Milgard Windows and Doors, Gary Gessel. And he, uh, so uh, as in this consulting arrangement, I was assigned to work with him, but he was telling me things and I'm a, I am eat, sleep and drink business. People ask me about my hobby. My hobby is business. Uh, I love, I actually love reading and studying about it, but it, Gary was telling me things that I had not heard from anybody else. And uh, I said, wow, you know, have you ever thought of writing a book? And he said, well, if you'll do it with me. So we've created a, together uh, an online course called Strategy to Win, This based on, on um, that, that knowledge he brought from 40 years of being an executive and, and running, lar- you know, l- running large companies. Uh, so it's really marvelous. It's really kind of cool. And we're about uh, two months away from publishing the book on Strategy to Win.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, what's so the premise? Uh, if you don't, if you don't have to go super detailed, but what is yeah, strategy yeah. to win all about?
1: Well, I found as I was working with business owners for for the last twenty some odd years that probably ninety five percent of most business owners don't know how to read financial statements. They don't know how to think strategically ahead of the marketplace or ahead of their competition or ahead of the financial, uh, you know, realities of the business because of uh, you know recessions or uh, you know the ups and downs of business that, that happen, or the competitive factors that happen. But Gary had really been uh, uh, in his position. You know, he he had he had worked for I think now you know Nally Foods and uh, C First Bank before it became Bank of America, and he uh, he had worked in these very high level companies, but they had hired consultants like Bain. Bain and McKinsey and Boston Consulting Group. So they he had some of these best business minds and, and they would do annual planning every year. So strategy to win is how to really uh, look and and think and plan ahead of your business so that you're working on your business instead of just in your business. And a lot of the str- strategies that, that people make for their business today are based on solving the problems they're experiencing today, but it's not really based on creating a desired future for their business and their marketplace. So, you know, we really talk about uh, having a, a strategic objective for your business that that serves a greater purpose for your marketplace, that serves a greater purpose for your business, and will will end, will end up having you in with customers, it'll have you in with employees, and it'll have you in with finances. So we're real excited about, you know, the message and the opportunity for people to learn learn these strategic skills.
0: So I'm going to ask you some bigger overall questions now. Uh, the first one is, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned in life?
1: Yeah, you know, I, 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 I mentioned a couple, a couple of them, you know, um, but understanding that the world runs on trust and that, that I needed to live my life transparently so that I could be trusted in any situation, in every situation, which meant that I had to do things that I didn't want to hide. <laughs> you know, uh, Stephen Covey shared this many years ago, but he said, we all have a public life, a private life, and a secret life. You know, public life, it's, it's what you and I are doing now, public, right? Private is how we are in our home. And then our secret life is something only we know, you know, good or bad, that we do. And uh, he said... When, when your public life and your private life and your secret life come into alignment, then you have transparency, transparency, you have trust, and, and, and you have integrity where it's all the same. You're the same person alone. You're the same person with your family. You're the same person in public. Um, I, I, when I first heard that, it became a turning point for me to say, you know what? I've got to align these things. When I first met Gary Gessel... Uh, he was typing a text and he looked at it and he said, he says, now I have to think about what I wrote and I have to think about how it's going to come across. And I, he said, I have to think about, did I spell it right? Is my grammar right? Because as a leader, you you understand that people look to you. And if you're careless in your communication, really, you don't get, you don't stay a leader. So as a leader, you learn to be very careful in communication, but I I thought to myself in that moment when I saw him struggle with thinking through his communication, I thought, you know what? I've got to become a better communicator and I've got to be careful what I say, how I say it. And it comes up all the time, every single communication, every email, every text, which is a lot every single day. I think through carefully, how will that be received? Um, You know, it is so easy to, uh, unintentionally offend people today. And, uh, and I don't want to be on the giving end of any offense. So it's a, you know, it's a balance, but I think having, you know, investing in learning greater communication skills is, has been a real turning point for me learning to be a person that that is transparent, can be trusted, doesn't surprise other people. And I think, uh, when I learned to be willing when I learned to be willing to do the work and it's one of the ingredients of success, but it's like, whatever work is required, I'm willing to do it. I, I used to say, no, I don't have to do that. Or I'm not willing to do that today. I say, what does it take? Let's do it. You know,
0: It's a great answer. Thank you. Uh, another one I have is going back to this concept of listening to teachers and mentors in your life. You said you had many, people in your life who helped you along the way. And they would tell you that helping you was just as beneficial to them as it was to you. And you've said the same thing to me as I've come to you for help on several things. And I'm just curious, uh, why, why is that? What do you get out of helping people and why do you think it's important?
1: Do you know, I, I had a, a teacher who, uh, he was my very first martial arts teacher who took me when I was as backward and awkward. I had all these blind spots and I was a mess. I was just a hot mess. Mm-hmm. I was about 18, 18, 19 years old. Uh, he was uh, a pivotal figure uh, in our martial arts dealings and martial arts teachings and the kind of character, his character, his capabilities. Uh, I saw him as superhuman, you know. And I said to him, uh, I said, I cannot believe what you've given me and how much you've helped me and his, his lessons and his influence have just carried over uh, throughout my entire life. And he said, he said, it helps me to help you. And, you know, he said, when I, when I share with, with you, my knowledge, he said, it enriches me. And, and I found in my own mentoring of other people, which I absolutely love to do, is that my thoughts deepen, you know, so like you and I are having a conversation, but together you and I are coming up with things that I've never even thought of before. So there's just something magical. There's something powerful. There's something very healing about having a conversation like this where, uh, I'm, I'm learning, I'm, I'm getting greater perspective. I'm actually seeing things I couldn't see before. And if you and I hadn't had this conversation, Uh, I, you know, I, I would be less, I would be in a, in a worse position. And so actually this is very enriching. It's very enhancing. It's very healing.
0: You told me that one of your greatest accomplishments was not sacrificing your family for your work. And I think that we live in a culture that hustles and Mm -hmm. believes in keeping your purpose above all else. And I subscribe to that as well. But, um, what do you think about the relationship or the dichotomy between balance and goals and achievement?
1: Yeah, I, I, again, I, uh, I look for information from every source, from everywhere, and I'm looking for parallel truths, like, as we discussed. And, uh, I, I really struggled up until I was the CFO, um, where, where if I, if I gave everything at work, I had nothing left for home and, uh, you know, and especially when I was in, in that loser mindset and I, and I felt like a loser and I was demonstrating uh, loser results and loser behavior. And I was causing so many of my own problems. I mean, my own kids, you know, they look back on that and say, yeah, dad wasn't really here. He was working all the time. And so I, I was giving all at work to succeed, to, to provide for us. Cause that was, I felt like my number one priority but then I had nothing left to give. And I, and I got better over time because as you, as you I don't know, you know, you're, you're in, as you're in the battle, you know, you learn ways to be more efficient, more effective. But man, I was tired. I, I was tired. I was burning out. And yeah, the lack of balance. But I did come across a mentor that I do recommend to everybody. I, I really uh, enjoy his teaching and his approach. But his name is Dr. Barry Morgulon. And he has a program online you can find called Energy for Success, and um, I was in this, uh, you know, out of balance, burned out, tired, uh, struggling to succeed. And his message is uh, so he's a Western he's a Western doctor that had an opportunity to go to China and discovered uh, a form of energy uh, uh, practices, I guess uh, through, through his life experience. And he became a, a, a grandmaster of this energy, uh, uh system. Uh, it, it's really fascinating. If you go to energyforsuccess.com and you can see, and he's got all kinds of social media and teachings and I liked it. I, I think I took to it because of my background in martial arts and, and it, it came from a martial arts background in China. Uh, I understood his approach and I understood the need uh, in martial arts. You do a lot of repetition. You do a lot of, a lot of punching, a lot of kicking and a lot of forms. And you, you do the same thing over and over again. And so you get better and better and better at it. So I approached his teachings and his programs from a, from a point of view of repetition. So uh, I probably have approached it maybe differently than most Westerners would approach his work, but I understood it from a martial arts point of view and as a result, I literally uh, what he talks about is literally having the energy to become uh, fulfilled in all inter- all areas of your life simultaneously that your brain can do so much more and it can. At the time I was really interested. I think I'd watched the movie Limitless and I and I became interested in nootropics which is, you know, stuff you can take to make your brain work better. And um essentially he offers that uh, doctor. Uh, he, he goes by Dr. B, uh, Barry Morgulin So it goes by Dr. B, but he essentially offers that limitless pill in the form of uh, meditations and exercises that raise your, your energy that gives you the energy to, to do everything you want to do. So, uh, for the last four or five years now, I've been following Dr. Dr. B and his uh, energy for success program but I'll just say that, um, I, I have more, I don't have to do nootropics. I don't ha, you know, I, I don't have to do the stuff I was trying to do before to figure it out and get energy. Uh, his is an energy program. And, um, uh, I don't know, my success has skyrocketed physically, mentally, spiritually in all areas of your life. You progress by making, you know, three times the income today that I was back when I started with this program, uh, opportunities keep coming up, like writing this book and, uh, doing this podcast with you uh, i had and i and i knew from my experience cuz have been tried to, i tried all the productivity hacks i tried all the time management hacks but in the end i understood it's how much energy you have to put into the day that that's different than all these productivity hacks and time management hacks to get things done when you're exhausted and burned out but at that time my my biggest enemy was interruptions i could not get things done if i was getting interrupted And, and so my number one thing is I hated interruptions and I would try to block myself out from interruptions. Don't call me. Don't talk to me. I couldn't answer the phone. I couldn't get to the email because it was all distractions. And I was trying to focus and become productive. And Dr. B talks about, uh, relaxing, uh, effortless effort. And he talks about having the energy to take on all the so-called interruption, make them part of the story. So when I opened up and I stopped, weeding out my interruptions. And I started opening up and allowing all the interruptions, every single one of them. But those interruptions were my kids calling. my It was my wife calling. It was, it was people who needed things. It was people I could serve. It was opportunities. And so today, I, I literally have an open email, open phone policy. And things come to me at the right time in the right way. Literally, I'll hang up with somebody and somebody else will call just at that moment. And so I, I very seldom ever have something happen at the same time. And and I credit the energy for success as a way to get way beyond that balance and burnout problem. So, uh, more energy, more balance, more energy, more healing, more energy, more productivity. Uh, he, he shares marvelous teachings from, from the days of Lao Tzu that he has, that was only a verbal tradition, but now he's incorporating it into his programs and, it, it lets you overcome a lot of these limitations that I think people feel when they feel stress and burnout and lack of balance in their life.
0: That sounds really cool. I'm going to link that in the show notes for anybody who's interested. Hey, thanks for doing this. Do you want to share where people can find you and follow you? Two, two best places. I, I do a
1: lot on LinkedIn. So uh, LinkedIn, you'll find me uh, Kirk J. Davis. It's at Kirk J. Davis on LinkedIn uh, so the letter J helps, K-I-R-K, K I R K. letter J, Davis. Uh, the other is strategytowin.co. That's our strategy to win website. And, the, and there's social media links there. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to actually, you know, write the course, rework the course and write the book. So I'm doing occasional social media, but it'll pick up and you'll see a lot more social media there as we go. So two good places to connect, strategytowin.co and LinkedIn
0: perfect and I'll link those in the show notes as well so people can find them pretty easily I just want to say a quick thank you to everybody who listened to this episode your support is really appreciated and if you have a quick second to write a review that would help this podcast out big time Um, also if you have any feedback or ideas for guests or just about the show in general uh, please just send me a message on instagram either at the podcast page or my personal instagram both of which are linked and uh, yeah I would love to hear your ideas and what you've got